Thank you. Be seated. Lead me to the cross. That is our current series here at Faith. And we are basing our messages during this series on Lead Me to the Cross on the last part of the Gospel of John. We talked earlier, last week we talked about the alabaster box. Uh, in John chapter 11, there is the story of the resurrection of, of Lazarus from the dead. Um, a miracle that is not recorded in the other Gospels, but is recorded in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 12, then, there is the story of his being anointed six days before the Passover, being anointed for burial. That, that begins his final days, his journey to the cross. Now, Larry, the truth is, from the time of his birth unto the cross, everything that happened was leading up to the cross. And, and we could preach about the life of Jesus and talk about lead me to the cross, and the whole, his entire life was walking inexorably toward the cross on which he would die. But especially then when it said that he was anointed for his burial. From that point in, at the beginning of John chapter 12 until his crucifixion in John 20 and, and his resurrection in John 20, um, all of that is leading to the cross. Um, I've also taken that story from a story that I heard long ago um, about a young man who lived in London, England, and he lived under the shadow of the steeple of a great church. But somewhere along the way, Larry drifted just a little bit too far away from his home, and he got lost. And he was standing, crying on a street corner. Some gentleman came along and wanted to help him and ask him about, you know, son, what is your address? Where do you live? What street do you live on? He didn't know. And so the man began to describe different landmarks in the city, railway stations, landmarks in, his, in the city. He didn't recognize any of those. He never traveled enough to know those things. But at some point, the man mentioned a church. And he said, is that the church with the great steeple with the cross at the top? And he said, yes, it is. And the boy said, lead me to the cross, I can get home from there. That story has stuck with me for many years. Lead me to the cross, I can get home from there. You see, if you're a guest in the service, our goal today is to lead you to the cross of Jesus Christ. Because if you come to Christ and you understand that He died on that cross for you, you can get home from there. You'll make it to heaven if you know Jesus as Savior, the Savior who died for your sins on Calvary's cross. Lead me to the cross. At the beginning of chapter 12, there is His anointing for burial, the alabaster box. And then in verses 9 uh, through 19, there is the triumphal, 
triumphal entry into Jerusalem. That's the story of the king on the colt. That is that Jesus rode an humble donkey into the city. And the people broke off palm leaves and threw them down before him. He th they threw palm leaves, leaves down before him and to welcome him, they shouted, Hosanna, King of Kings. They welcomed him as the Messiah. Now, most of, most of these were Galileans. They were Jews from Galilee. And they welcomed him to the city. And then immediately, there were some Greeks, proselytes. They are, they're Greeks, but they are converts to Judaism. And they came to Philip and said, we would see Jesus. It's at that point, it's almost like he sees that as a sign. And he says, Jesus answered them, The hour has now come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, except a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone, if anyone serves me, the Father will will honor, honor them. Now I want you to notice this, because this is the verse, Pam, that drew me this, to this passage many years ago. Because, Zach, I had been going through the Scripture as a student of the Word of God, looking for the places that refer to the emotions of the, of the Christ. You see, we understand you must receive Jesus as the Son of God. You must recognize his deity. But too often, Corey, we try to rob him of his humanity. And there are places in the scripture that specifically reveal the humanity, even the very emotions of Christ. And it caught my attention when he said, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? And if you understand what he's saying, he's saying, Shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? That is, get me out of this. Take the cross away from me. By the way, Larry, there is no reference in the Gospel of John to Gethsemane, where he prayed that prayer. If it be thy will, may this cup be taken from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. It, that's nowhere in the Gospel of John. It's in the other three Gospels. It's not in John. This is not in the other Gospels but it's in the Gospel of John. That means, Kelly, that, that his agony of decision began before Gethsemane. And it's very revealing about him, now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? By the way, can you identify with that? Has, have there been points in your life when you were plagued with a decision, maybe a commitment, Maybe you were being convicted for salvation. 
and you were trying to make a decision. Maybe God was calling you to some special service. Maybe He's doing that now. Maybe He's dealing with you in a special way, and you're struggling with the decision. Listen, Jesus understands. He understands the struggle, the agony of decision. What shall I say? Get me out of this? But He said, but for this cause, for this purpose, I have come to this hour. And instead, He said, Father, glorify Thy name. Glorify Your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. What we're talking about today is the agony of decision. The agony of decision. Every one of us at some time have struggled with what God wants us to do. We have people visiting who are members of other churches, and the truth is, they've been de-churched. I, I talked with someone this morning who has attended our church for nigh on 30 years, and they're not a member. And I told them, I want you. I want you here. I want to really be your pastor. I want you to be a member of our church, and I want you to serve in our church. They're still dealing with the agony of, maybe I should have said, the agony of indecision. We had a couple come in the first service this morning and commit to be, being baptized. Some of you know Scotty and Allison, and both of them, husband and wife, came together. Praise God! in the early service this morning and came for baptism and we'll be bad, baptizing them and, and uh, Cody Hill on March the 22nd. There are probably others who need to do that. You need to follow the Lord in baptism after you have trusted Christ. And maybe you're dealing with the agony of decision. You've been de-churched. We want you to be rechurched. We want you here if you're coming to serve. If you're coming to be entertained, if you're coming to be served, not so much. We, we talked in our Sunday school class. I've tried, I'm looking around to see how many of you were in my class this morning. Uh, we talked about deserving church members. And I said, you need to get rid of the D and not be deserving. You need to be serving. Uh, that's what church membership is all about serving if you're struggling with the agony of decision listen Jesus understands and he's given us in this passage some principles that you need to understand as you make your decision the first principle is the principle of sacrifice the principle of sacrifice he said except a kernel of wheat fall into the ground and dies it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now, I don't know if there's any agricultural majors in here. You've got a bachelor's degree in agriculture, but you don't have to have a bachelor's degree to understand. You know, I, Aaron, I, had, I struggled through botany, um, and, you know, I understand. You, you put that uh, kernel of wheat, 
Uh, okay, I'm from Alabama. Can I just say a grain of corn, kernel of corn? Uh, I, I never grew wheat, but I sure grew my share of corn. Okay, so I know that if you plant that kernel of corn in the ground, what happens immediately, or almost immediately, is the shell begins to slough off because the thing starts to rot. The shell has to come off in order for the plant to sprout, to send roots down and send a sprout up through the soil. By the way, that's a pretty good picture of what happens to you when the Spirit of God gets hold of you. You have to let your shell fall off. Too many of us have got a hard shell around us, and God is trying to break our hearts, trying to bring us to sacrifice, to humble us, to get us to bow our knee before Him. You will never be saved until you are broken enough to admit that you can't save yourself. That God has to do it. Your shell has to fall off. You have to let go of that hard shell and soften your heart. Well, what he's talking about, understand that seed that goes into the ground has to actually begin to rot and decay for life to come forth from it. But understand, this is primarily about Jesus. Except the corn of wheat, the kernel of wheat, falls into the, falls to the earth and dies. That's talking about Jesus. You see, if Jesus refused the cross, if He refused to die for your sins and for mine, none of us would be saved. We are only saved because He paid the price for our salvation. Listen, if you're trying to earn your way to heaven, you just need to quit. Because you're never going to make it. Jesus has already done that. He paid the price for your salvation and you receive, you activate what He's done when you come to Him believing that He is the Son of God believing that He died for you, believing that He was raised from the dead, and receiving His gift of everlasting life. But get this, if He didn't die, He and the Father and the Holy Spirit, the triune Godhead, would remain alone for all eternity. He had to die in order to bear fruit that is to bring us to God in a right relationship to be in heaven with Him. Except a corn of wheat falls into, to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Since this is all about Christ, I need you to understand something. We talk about salvation being free, and it really isn't. Salvation is not free. Now don't quote me, don't tweet that, unless you tweet my explanation, okay? Salvation is not free, it cost God His Son. And it cost Jesus the cross. Listen, that means not just dying, that means an awful, humiliating, suffering death on the cross. Salvation cost a plenty. 
But it's offered to you freely because He already paid the price. You don't have to do anything but believe in Him. That is, receive Him as Savior. Eternal life is in Him, and you receive the gift of God by receiving Him. You receive Him, the gift of eternal life is in Him. You receive the gift of eternal life because He paid the price. Salvation can be offered to you freely because He's already paid the price. But I need you to understand something. We're talking about the principle of sacrifice. And the truth is, unless you are willing to serve, unless you're willing to give up your desires, your preferences, your own will, you will never be fruitful for God. Salvation is offered freely, but friend, it'll cost you to serve Jesus. It may cost you your plans for the future. I assure you, when Brenda and I surrendered to God's will for our life to go to Africa's missionaries, Alice, I'd never planned on going to Nairobi, Kenya. Never dreamed. I, I got to tell you, that's someplace you just never drop by. You have to mean to go there. You have to go there on purpose. We gave up our occupations. We gave up our dreams. We gave up our plans in order to follow the call of God. Now, God may not be calling you to Africa, but I'm telling you, He's asking you to serve Him, and it will cost you to serve God. Salvation is offered freely, but if you're going to serve God, there's a price to pay. It will cost you to serve God. And what He's asking you today to do is the same thing that Jesus did. Be willing to say, Lord, whatever it takes, whatever you want me to do, whatever it takes, glorify your name. In my life, in my action, in my decisions, Lord, be glorified. Whatever it takes, glorify thy name. When it comes time for you to make the decision that God's calling on you to make, understand the principle of sacrifice. Un unless you're willing to make the sacrifice and pay the price, you will never be fruitful for God. You'll never be used of God. Then, the second principle. This is, by the way, in your worship guide. Some of you are taking notes. You're filling in the blanks. And I get scolded a lot, Sarah, for going too fast and not giving people time to write in the blanks. So what I'm saying right now is just to give you time to write in the blanks. It really does not mean anything. It's a toss-away phrase, Amber, because... You need time to... Anyway, the paradox <laughs> of preservation. The paradox of preservation. Somebody says, paradox, what in the world is that? Well, the old joke we used to say when I was a kid, it was two doctors who didn't know where they were going. But a paradox is something that's just the opposite of what you think it should be. Uh, maybe I can illustrate that best by just giving you the Scripture. Jesus said, whoever loves his life loses it. 
Now, isn't that just the opposite of what you would think? If you hold on to something, you lose it. Whoever loves his life so much, Larry, that he refuses to give it to God. Whoever loves anything, Charlotte, so much they won't give it to God, they lose it. On the other hand, whoever hates his life, now that's not hating so much as it is being willing to let it go. Philippians chapter 2 says of Jesus that he considered equality with God not something to be held on to. And then it describes how he gave it up by becoming human and submitting to death, even the death on a cross. That's what he's talking about. That you hate it, that is you don't treasure it, but you're willing to let it go. Your life in this world, if you will let it go and give it to God, you will keep it for eternal life. What you hold on to, you lose. Now you're trying to make a decision about surrendering to God. And He's saying to you right now, He's already given you the principle of sacrifice. That is, it'll cost you. You need to be willing to pay the price. By the way, He was willing. Aren't you glad Jesus did not say when He looked into eternity and He saw your sins and He knew He was going to have to die, aren't you glad He didn't say the price is too high? And He's saying to you now, are you willing to sacrifice? But He's also saying to you, look, what you hold on to, if you refuse to give that to Me, you're going to lose it. But if you give it to Me, you'll keep it to life eternal. I used to say in my sermons that I've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. And then one day I saw a U-Haul. I saw a hearse. You know what a hearse is, right? That's, that's what you put the casket in to carry the, the, the body to be buried for the funeral and to the graveyard. I, if I'm lying, I'm dying. I saw a hearse pulling a U-Haul. <laughs> Boy, that, it, that just shot that illustration out of the water. But I promise you they were not on the way to the cemetery at the time. I don't know what they were hauling. But they ruined my illustration. But you can't take it with you. It doesn't matter what it is we're talking about. When you die and you've held on to it, you will leave it behind if you haven't lost it already in the meantime. But you can send it ahead. What you give, what you keep for yourself, you lose. But what you give to God, you keep. I talked about surrendering to go to the mission field in Kenya many years ago. One of the things that led me to that decision was reading the book Through Gates of Splendor. If you've never read the book Through Gates of Splendor, you need to read it. It's the finest mission book, the most moving mission book that's ever, ever been written. It's the story of Nate Saint, Jim Elliott, Ed McCulley, Roger Udarian, and I've forgotten the fifth guy's name. Um, five missionaries who were working in the same area in the Amazon 
are in South America, and there was an unreached people group there. They called them the Aka tribe. That was the name that was given them by the tribes that lived around They were a very violent tribe, and they were known as murderers, murderous killers, but they'd never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so these five missionaries developed a plan, and it's a long story, I won't tell you the whole story, but they flew in in a little yellow piper cub and landed on a sandbar, and the Indian tribe misunderstood their intentions, and they came out and they speared them to death. If you've seen the movie The End of the Spear, it's the same story. It's based on the book by Nate Saint, Jungle Pilot. Life magazine published a huge cover story about them, and the conclusion in Life magazine was, what a waste. These promising young men, their, their lives were wasted because they were murdered. By the way, Nate Saint's sister and Jim Elliott's wife went together as a team to that same tribe, two women. Because they were women and because they happened to knock on the door of the chief of the tribe when they got there and came under his protection, among them and shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. And the very men who speared the missionaries to death were saved. Amen. And someone found, in fact, Elizabeth Elliot found written in the notes, in the, in the journal, the prayer journal of her dead husband, Jim Elliot, the note, A man is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. Listen, what you hold on to, you lose. But what you give to God, you keep. So in the throes of your decision, whatever it is, give it to God. Give up. Surrender. Because what you hold on to and refuse to give to God, you lose. But what you give to Him, you keep. Be willing to say, Lord, Whatever it takes, whatever it takes, Father, glorify your name. The paradox of preservation. Then the third principle that you need to understand as you struggle with your decision is the purpose of providence. The purpose of providence. You see, when you talk about providence, you, you recognize that things don't happen by chance, that God is in control, and God knows what He's doing, and He brings things about to bring you to the right place at the right time. I am convinced that you are in this service today because this is where God wanted you at this moment. Now, I will say that there are others that are supposed to be here that did not come. Because we are given free choice. But in His providence, God has brought you to this church. God has brought you to this service. 
Jesus recognized the providential hand of God. There's something about the fact, Charlotte, that they had made that triumphal entry. He had been welcomed by the Galilean Jews. And then the Greeks came to him. And it's immediately, Larry, when, he, when those Greeks took, come to him, that he says, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Now is the time. Now the, corn, the kernel of wheat must fall into the ground and die. He recognized the providence of God. He also recognized the purpose of God. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. You see, he recognized the providence of God, and he recognized the purpose of God in his coming. You need to recognize how God has worked in your life to bring you to this point. You know, I, I, I thought about that this week as I was thinking about this service. And, wow, I don't even have, I, I'm preaching without notes. That's a dangerous thing. In 1960, a B-47 bomber took off from Little Rock Air Force Base. Nobody in here is old enough to remember this. But in 1960, a crew took off from Little Rock Air Force Base. They used, this bomber was loaded down. And so they used JADO bottles, rockets attached to the wings, to blast it off the runway. The, one of the crew members was a man by the name of Tom Smoke. He was one of four crew members on the airplane that day. Tom Smoke said he had spent his time with God. He had, he had met with God. He had talked with God on that morning. He did his daily devotional, his quiet time. By the way, Young people, you listen to me. You need to start that. If you're not meeting with God every day, you need to start right now. Get up in the morning, spend time with God, read your Bible and pray. Because you don't know when your plane may explode. You see, on that day, that B-47, he put on his sunglasses because he knew that it was dark on the runway, but when they got up above the horizon... He knew that they would be in the sunlight, so he went ahead and put his sunglasses on. Those sunglasses saved his vision, kept him from being blinding, but blinded because the plane exploded in a million pieces. One minute he said, I was in the airplane. The next, I was falling, falling, falling through the air. One thing he said, Wendy said, I didn't have time to get saved at that moment. All I could think about, Pam, was I was falling through the air. Listen, if you're thinking, I'll wait until some later time and then I'll get saved, you better trust Jesus now because you don't know the time, and when the time comes, you don't know that you'll have time to trust Jesus and be saved. You need to be saved now, right now. That plane exploded and he was falling through the air. He was the only one of the crew that survived. The other three perished. They found the bodies. He said he was falling through the air and said his parachute opened. He didn't pull the parachute, Derek. That parachute, when they took it, took it off of him on the ground, 
the D-ring that you pulled to open the parachute was still in its harness. He never pulled the par- he couldn't think to pull the parachute to, to, to pull the cord. But the parachute opened. And he felt the parachute open and slow him down. He said he was looking at the ground and he noticed that one of his boots had been blown off of his foot. Foot was still there, thank the Lord. But he was his bare foot was sticking. I said that bothered him. You know, it's funny to me, Corey, that that would bother him. A plane just exploded, but he's he's worried that his boot's gone and his bare foot's sticking out. And he's thinking about how he's going to land. And he, and he planned it out in his mind, you know, I'll land more on this foot and I'll roll and everything he's been trained to do. But as he's looking down, he's seeing the ground rushing up at him way too fast. He looks up at his parachute and it's full of holes. The fire of the explosion had burned through the pack on his back. In fact, Tom Smoke was so badly burned, he spent over two years in the hospital afterwards. But the fire had burned through the pack on his back. And it's like paper mache. You kids ever folded up paper and take scissors and cut it? And then you hold it up and it's full of holes and it's got all this design? Well, that's great on a piece of paper. It's not so good on your parachute. And his parachute was full of holes and he was falling, falling, falling way too fast. In fact, Larry said he gave up hope when he passed this lady. He landed on the concrete driveway of this certain lady. She had a big tall TV antenna. He said when he went past that, he gave up all hope. There's no way I'm going to survive. But he said he hit the ground And he did his little roll, and before he could even complete his roll, he was jerked up off the ground, and he was suspended about 12 feet off of the ground. And he looked up over his head, and he had fallen exactly between two giant oak trees. He said he went back and saw those trees two years later after he got out of the hospital, And the trees had grown together. He said he would have died when he hit the trees. But at that time, when he fell, there was just enough room between the trees. He fell exactly between the trees. His parachute caught on the tops of the trees. And with his weight coming down, the trees just sort of bowed down and let him touch the ground. But when his weight came off the parachute cords... The trees straightened up and picked him up so he's hanging 12 feet above the ground. Talk about the providence of God landing in just the right place and the trees were just the right height. During a couple of years recovering from the severe burns that left him disfigured for life, Tom Smoke, realizing and recognizing the providence of God kept saying, He left me here for some reason. I'm still here. What does He want me to do? For Tom Smoke, it was fly an airplane again. And he spent the rest of his life as a missionary pilot in the jungles of South America. But the point is, friend, you're all, we're all still here. You get that? God and His providence has brought us to this place 
at this hour. And I need you to understand He's done that because He has a purpose for your life. He has a purpose for you. You need to recognize the providence of God in what He's done in your life up to this point and recognize His purpose and fulfill your destiny. Fulfill God's purpose in your life. I don't know what that might be. I know that He wants you to be saved. The Bible says that He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants you to be saved. He wants you to follow Him in baptism. Well, how do you know that? Because He commanded us to baptize you. Somebody said, well, there's no command for me to be baptized. Yeah, there is. He commanded us to baptize you. Do you not understand that's a command to you? To be baptized. Follow the Lord in baptism. He wants you to be a part of a fellowship of the church. And you need to do that. He's given you special gifts and abilities. And He intends for you to use those gifts and those abilities to His honor and His glory. And He's waiting for you, waiting for you to say, Lord, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. Last Sunday, Allison Choctaw came and said, I, was, I made a profession of faith and was baptized a long time ago, but I really wasn't saved. I know I'm saved now, but I want to be baptized. Scott, her husband, was standing there, and I turned to look at him, and he said, I, I want to do what Kim Hill did the other day. I, I want to renew my membership. I want to recommit to this church. And I said, you were baptized here. You know, question, that, there's supposed to be a question mark in it. He said, yeah. Well, we started looking at our records talked to his grandmother. I mean, if anybody would remember, June would remember. And nobody remembers Scott being baptized. And I called him. He said, well, I don't remember for sure. I just thought we did that. And he said, but. And I didn't have to ask him. He said, I, I feel like whatever I need to do to make this right I need to do that. I thought, praise God, spread that around a little bit. There's some other people need to hear that. Whatever it takes, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I need to make this right. Glorify your name. Finally, the promise of promotion. I like this part. The promise of promotion. There's the principle of sacrifice. There's the paradox of preservation. There is the purpose of providence. And there is the promise of promotion. Jesus said, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. You, you get that right? If you're going to serve Jesus, you're going to have to follow Jesus. You're going to have to become like him. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. I've talked about those five missionaries 
and the Aka Indians. The truth is, by the way, they were known, they called themselves the Wild Rani. And if you've not seen the movie The End of the Spear, I recommend that you see that. But I will tell you this, there's coming a day when those five missionaries that I named, including Jim Elliott, the one who gave that quote, gave us that wonderful quote. Joseph, they'll, they're going to stand in heaven surrounded by the very men who speared them to death. On that day, it will be worth it all. We, there's an old song that, that we've sung. Cheryl, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. And I'm telling you, it will be worth it all. Everything you've done, everything you've given up, will be worth it all when you see the promotion in heaven. Would you recognize that? The promise of promotion. And say to Jesus today, whatever it takes, whatever you want me to do, whatever sacrifice you're asking, whatever it takes. Father, what's important is not what happens to me. It's not what I have to give up. It's not the price that I have to pay. That's not what is really important. What's really important is that you will be glorified. Whatever it takes, Father, glorify your name. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about what God is asking you to do. Be willing to say that. Whatever it takes, whatever it takes, Father, glorify your name. Some of you need to come for salvation. Some of you need to come for baptism. Some of you need to come and be members of this church. Whatever God's asking you to do, make that decision. Make it today.